Hello, Fried fans, and welcome to Season 3 of Fried the Burnout Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Donovan, and my mission with Fried is to hashtag end burnout culture. On this pod, we end burnout culture by sharing stories of people who have been through it all and lived to tell the tale, sharing expert tips from the best of the best in the burnout and stress management fields, and sharing hashtag straight from Kate episodes full of my own expertise plus actionable steps to help you end your own burnout cycle starting today. If you're feeling burnt out right now and need more personalized guidance, I'm here for you. In every episode, you'll find a link to book a free breakthrough burnout call. You can find it easily by heading to bit.ly forward slash call Kate or finding the link in the show notes. This free call helps us decide if one-on-one coaching is perfect for you. If it is, we'll get started. If it isn't, I might suggest one of my immediately available online courses, my book, The Bounce Back Ability Factor, or some sessions with a colleague who's better suited to exactly what you need right now. Also, if you happen to be in New York City, I'd love to see you as a patient. I'm a licensed acupuncturist with over 13 years of international experience, and right now my office is located in Midtown Manhattan. I focus on, you guessed it, burnout. I help your body build up a natural stress resilience to fight off all those pesky symptoms that come alongside burnout. You can find all the deets on that at katedonovanacupuncture.com. Hello, Fried fans. Today is extremely special to me for two reasons. And one of those reasons is the person that I get to talk to today is such a magical part of my life who I am so deeply grateful for and who happens to, through circumstance, live 15 minutes down the road from me. And it's just the fact that this woman lives 15 down the road, 15 minutes down the road from me. And I get to be her friend is a very lucky thing indeed. And on top of that, she specializes in grief. And I've been wanting to talk grief and burnout on the podcast for a long time, but I needed to be sure that this conversation would be held in a way that was sacred because grief is a sacred topic. And I, it didn't even hit me for a long time to ask you Jess to do it. And then when it did, I was like, well, no wonder I've been waiting, you know, like I, I had you this whole time and I didn't, I didn't really just put these things together. So everybody today, we get to chat with Jess Brennan, who is the founder of Held Massage Therapy in Montclair, New Jersey, where she pioneers grief massage and body-based healing for those going through painful and challenging times. She's been a birth doula for 15 years and is also an end-of-life doula and a spiritual mentor for times of loss and transition. She founded HELD after a period of intense change in her own life, wishing for the kind of care that HELD now specializes in. Jess, welcome to the show. Thank you, my love. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy that you're here and I'm happy to be looking at your living room. Jess makes a great brunch. And last time I was there, I got to eat the great brunch. So it's bringing back good memories. Usually we start out fried with a burnout story, but because we're talking about grief today and there's so much overlap so often between grief and burnout, I would love if you'd be willing to share with us a grief story. A grief story. So we're just going to jump right in. We're just going to go right into it. We're just going to jump right in. I'm just going to show everybody all my everything right out of the gate. Yes. Yes. So 
So my experience of both grief and burnout, having known both of them, is that it's uh, it's an introduction back into futility and powerlessness and humility. And um, it's wild and painful. And as Westerners, those things are kryptonite for us. We're not ready for them. We don't like them. We want to escape and numb out at all costs from those things. But no matter how hard we try to rage against the truth of what is, it's like immovable. And that that hurts in addition to like the thing, the burnout or the loss. It's like the, the fixedness of the thing and the, the unwillingness of life to negotiate with us around the thing that hurts, that's even worse. And that's where the suffering comes in. Like there's suffering and pain and grief and there's suffering, pain and burnout, but the fixedness of it and the helplessness and our, um, our discomfort and our illiteracy with working with those forces make it so much harder. So holy smokes, Kate. <laughs> so I have been a doula for as long as I've been a grown up human. Um, and I went through a huge change some years ago. Um, I went through a divorce and at the same time I lost, um, a job that I loved and a community of people and, um, someone in my family died and, um, the home I was living in and, um, a spiritual community that had come to, I'd come to define myself by that and had been more than just like a place to go once a week. It was like who I was a sangha. Um, and so all of those things fell away all at the same time. Mm. Uh, it's this like compounding nature of grief and loss. It's never just one thing, right? Like it's always like you lose the job and the financial stability while your kid is sick and your mom has Alzheimer's. It's like, there's all these ands. I see it all the time with folks. And so that's what happened to me. And I found myself ungrounded and just tumbling head over ass. Like, can I say ass here? You can say everything here. Excellent. Excellent. Because let's cut the bullshit about have you. Yeah. Like, have you met me in real life? <laughs> I, have, I have. But I want to be respectful of your space, of course. So I remember, so there was one day um, we had cleaned out the attic. So we we're going through the divorce. We're selling our home. Of course, when you leave a home that way, you're leaving behind also the hopes and the memories of this family as you've known it. And um, we were taking out the baby stuff. So my daughter at that time was three and it occurred to me as I was bringing down all of her precious baby things from the attic, which I think of as like the place we store our past. I'm excavating the past and getting rid of it. Um, all the precious things and our hopes and our expectations and our plans. And it occurred to me then that there would be no more babies either. And I just like, I fell on the stairs and I looked up at my now husband and <laughs> I said to him, I need a doula. I need a doula for this. Not that I was having a baby, not even that I was dying, but I was going through something painful and I needed that model of care. Um, but it didn't exist. And I had a great therapist who was wonderful, but could not touch me. And I would go for a massage, which was great, but there are, you know, our scope of practice in massage therapy is so constrained. Um, yeah. that she just was like, oh, shh, get on the table. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the closest I found was a friend. And I, she's one of these like magical angel friends. And I, I went to her house. And I was just like, I was a disaster, right? I was all grief brain. So I was like, 
just so foggy, just like the whole thing, a mess. And she brought me upstairs to her attic and her finished attic had like some of her kids stuff and a desk for working, but it had this thick blue carpet, this like brand new straight from Home Depot or whatever, like the blue, you could sink your fingers in and then feel the floorboard, like so comforting. So I just sat right on the floor, like crisscross applesauce and leaned over, like leaning tower of Pisa and plopped my head right in her lap. And I, I just wept. I, yeah. it's like that diaphragm breathing, like the, 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 the no, the like primal, like, no, this cannot be happening. This cannot be real life. This cannot be so. And rather than the instinct of so many to be like, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. He's an asshole anyway. He's not. Um, <laughs> uh, or everything happens for a reason. Oh, I hate that right? so much. Um, or, um, you know, any of the ways that folks are really unhelpful around grief and loss. Any of the um, ways that folks try to uh, diminish your discomfort because they don't know how to sit with their own. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And like start to write a narrative for me because it's more comfortable than sitting in the muck. Right. And sitting in the mess. Like, so, okay, start to write a happy story for me or ask me to look on the bright side. At least he's not abusive. Right? No, that doesn't no. help. That doesn't help. Or give me instruction, right? Like, yeah. well, if you want to emerge from this with grace, then you need to do X, Y, and Z. She didn't do any of that. Yeah. She let me put my head in her lap and I'm just snotty and teary and like all the fluids. And she, she mom haired me. She just like this. And she listened as I talked and she just said, yep, yep, yep. And she touched me. She literally held me and let it be exactly as it was and communicated in so many ways that I was loved and that she trusted me with mm. myself. And that's what I needed right then. That she I was loved me. and that she trusted me with myself. Mm-hmm. This right. has been one of the most important pieces for me of guiding people through a healing journey when it comes to burnout. This is why my programs are not necessarily two years long because it takes a year or two to heal from burnout. But I work with people three to six months usually. And I work with people in that frame because the only place that I need to get you to is back to that place where you don't need me to trust you anymore because you've grown, regrown that trust in yourself. Once you have that, you can use it for a million other things. You might need another healer that, you know, something else might happen. All of those things are acceptable. But my job, I feel like part of my job is to reinstate your self-trust by trusting you for you in the meantime. Part of my journey was that somebody helped reinstate my self-love by loving me for me when I couldn't so important. And there's so much talk around getting people to do like sort of everything in their own internal worlds, right? Like you're a life coach. That means if you can fix in your own internal world, then everything will be fine, which makes me nuts because sometimes somebody else needs to trust us so that we can trust ourselves. And somebody, sometimes somebody else needs to love us so that we can love ourselves. Sometimes there needs to be input. Mm -hmm. And holding, 
right? Yeah. And so in the world of the sacred feminine, we call it mirroring. So I'm mirroring the divine within you, even when you can't see it. Yeah. So I'm just going to mirror it back and I'm going to anchor, I'm going to hold an anchor here. I'm going to ground for you when you need it, but I trust that you can, you will find your way. Yeah. And as I was going through that time in my life, I leaned heavily on some version of my future self. Yeah. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get to become her because right now I'm a shit mess right yeah. now. Every part of my life is a debris. Mm. that's really what it felt like I remember telling my best friend it feels like I took a deck of cards and I just threw it up and they're all over the place they're all over the floor and the table they're face up and face down the suits are all over the place everything I'd so carefully put together life came in and I came in side you know then I'm gonna asterisk, asterisk. Here, <laughs> like guilt shame yeah. right all of these things yeah and and threw it all to hell um, but I trusted my future self to be able to make sense of it. I trusted mm. myself to live into the answers that I needed. And now these years later, I actually spend a lot of time going back to that version of me and doing like inter-timeline work of like sending her love, sending her grounding, being the one who could save myself. Then. Yeah. But I did need some help and I needed skillful help. And unfortunately that slim pickings in our culture. <laughs> so one of the things that you write in your bio is that you are an end of life doula. Now I know what that means because I'm semi-obsessed with death, which I've never talked about on the podcast before, but I've talked to dead people most of my life. So I've been fascinated by the paranormal and by death ever since I was a child. And I remember actually being in California with my aunt. I was visiting, my, my sister and I were visiting my aunt who lives in San Diego. And we were looking at a, a palm tree and in the center of the palm tree, the dead palms, when they die, they shrink and they turn orange. And I was like, ooh, I love the orange part of that tree. And about 10 minutes earlier, I had asked her if she would give me her car when she died. Like I was like 10 years old. So this was obviously inappropriate, but you know, she had a really cool car. <laughs> so, and she just looked at me and she was like, you are so morbid. And that stayed with me for a long time. But the fact is I really do I really am fascinated by death. I love the the Tibetan book of dying and I love, I, I just, I've, I'm, I, I like it, but not everybody knows what end of life doula means. And I think that we need to understand what that means in order to expand into the idea of being a doula in times of loss and transition that are not necessarily death. So I think we That's need to start right. with death and then go there. So when you say end of life doula, what, what? basically. What? Right. what is the question? So, yeah. So interchangeably death and end of life doula, like those both terms get thrown right. around. Um, I discovered quite by accident um, when my grandfather died that I knew what to do in that space only because I'd been a doula for so long. Mm. It felt the same. Mm. Obviously the outcomes were different, but the skill sets and the, the capacity to hold space, even when it hurts to stay steady and calm, to, to watch out for what people need to um, attend to a person going through a big transition and to not flinch, to stand in the fire and not flinch and to be the therapeutic presence for everyone involved. Um, they're exactly the same. And then when I went through end of life doula training, I discovered that the model that I, I trained within was actually a duplicate of the birth doula training I had. 
and it goes lockstep. So we do a birth plan or birth preferences sheet for birth, and we do a vigil plan. We start to think about our end of life. How do, what do we want to feel? What do we want our loved ones to feel and experience as we transition? What's very important to us at the end of life? What do we want to smell? What do we want to, do we want to be in the sunshine? Do we want to have poetry read? Do we want people to write memories as they sit vigil, which means to stay with us, to provide the continuous in-person support, just like we do as a doula. And then there's the vigil or the labor. And then afterwards there is postpartum care and there's reprocessing with the family. So it's very much aligned with birth care, with best practice and um, loving presence for birth care. Um, and interestingly, I've really started to understand that we, we have like, a, we have birth doula and postpartum doula. So we have support for the event and then postpartum support afterwards. We have now death doula to support the event and like grief doula to support afterwards. And that is the missing piece where I see myself really fitting in, having all of those other pieces as well and pulling from those practices and those bodies of knowledge um, to create something that's really needed. And, um, you know, you said, this is all in the world of bereavement. So I'm talking literally about people dying and the support and love we need as we are transitioning and as someone we love is transitioning into, into whatever is next. Um, but after my divorce, um, I spent quite a long time healing and I discovered that the only thing that really spoke to me was bereavement literature. It was, it was narratives written by widows. Yeah. I, my husband was not dead. He's still alive and well, very much so. Um, but it was, it was widows who understood loving something and having to let it go before they were ready. And I felt that way about the life that I had left behind. Um, so when I think of grief, I don't only think of bereavement because grief is the process of honoring something that you loved and couldn't hold on to, and then learning to live in a changed world as a different person, yeah. having been impacted by this. And so that can be- Even if the impact is positive. Even if they say more about that. So one of the things that I started doing when I was still a fertility acupuncturist in Poland, one of the things that I noticed was that people were trying to have children for sometimes five, six, seven years at a time. And then they would finally get pregnant and they would have their child and they would be unhappy. Not because they didn't love their children, not, you know, it's none of that, but just because they had built up an enormous amount of expectation and they didn't have a normal transition from, from one, from not being a mother to being a mother. And there was no time spent on releasing the previous life. I really think that most new mothers should go through a grieving process. So I started doing this with my patients around week 28 of pregnancy mm. saying, okay, listen, it's time to go through your old photo albums. It's time to remember the way that your friendships feel right now. It's time to say goodbye to certain aspects of your life that you might repeat later. It's not that they're going to go away, but you are not going to experience them the same. There is a massive shift happening in how you are going to show up in the world for yourself and for your family and for your friendships. And we need to talk about that. Even though you want this baby, you still have to grieve the life you're leaving behind. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. I was talking with somebody last night who 
had a baby on April 1st during COVID and mm-hmm. had all of these hopes and wishes for her first year as a mother, mm-hmm. for her daughter, for mm-hmm. her life as a new family. And she didn't get any of it. And she referenced it a few times. And I said, well, you know, maybe there's a way to grieve the year you didn't get that you yeah. wanted and imagined for yourself and didn't get because of COVID. Yeah. Well, and, and this is like, another huh. reason. Yeah. And this is another reason that I think that this conversation with you didn't happen until now and why it didn't hit me to have, to, to ask you to come on, to have this conversation, because I think that right now we are, by the time this episode comes out, a lot of things are reopening, mm-hmm. right? We're going back into some sort of different form of life. We're not going back to normal. Things will never be the same, but we have just gone through a massive transition as, as a globe, as a global phenomenon. And we might need to grieve right now, grieve the fact that our seniors in high school didn't get a graduation or that our freshmen in college didn't have the opportunity to be on campus or that we were unable to grieve a family member because we could not attend a service because it was not possible. Or we can go into the the people that we lost. Of course, that's part of it. But there are so many things there's, I think that the the overall transition that we've all been through has led to a bigger amount of grief in our general daily lives that we're not recognizing because we don't think about grief that way. And it's burning us out because it's exhausting and we don't know what to do with it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. There was an op-ed in the New York Times not long ago that talked about the approximately 9 million grieving people when we take into account everybody who died in COVID and the average number of people in their immediate surrounding. Yeah. So that like 9 million grieving people from somebody who died. And then exactly what you're saying, um, all that was lost, all that we wanted, wished for ourselves, businesses, (laughs) restaurants, um, all the experiences that, that would have been, um, that would have been so important. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And that's, you know, like, and at the same time, because we're very low on grief readiness and loss literacy, which I think of as two different things. So grief readiness is like for ourselves and loss literacy is how well are we prepared? How skillful can we be to support the people around us going through loss? And like, we're kind of like, eh, not so great. Um, that was a two thumbs down from just, that was a two thumbs down. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> we find those things, uh, lacking in Western culture. Yes. Um, we're good at lots of other things. Let me not get you know too down on America, but but the biggest lie that grief tells us is that, or that we tell ourselves in grief is that all I have to do is get myself back. All mm-hmm. I have to do is get back to who I was before, mm-hmm. with this kind of biggest like very burnout West. lie too. Same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 All I need to do is get back to it, and mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and also at least as um, entrepreneurial women in the West, we also have this kind of I, I pressure to fetishize our grief and our difficulty, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I want to make it Instagrammable. I want to have a success and survival story. I want to be the Phoenix rising through this and then spiritually bypass all the stuff. Um, and, it, and it makes it look like you're failing if you don't do that. Mm. And sometimes just survival is enough. Like that is, that's one of the cornerstones here. And that's what I talk about with people at Held. It doesn't have to look pretty. In fact, it won't. Yeah, it, no matter what gonna, you do. 
right? Birth and labor are not pretty. Yeah. Losing what we thought we would have and loved grief and mourning are drippy processes. Yeah. And we have all um, these people around us right now and in, in, in our current transition because of the pandemic, because of COVID, we have all these people saying, what did you learn during COVID? What did you gain during COVID? Like nobody's giving us any space to be like, shit, this was really fucking hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really fucking hard. Like, God, somebody yesterday I had my first like lunch with an, an, a virtual friend that I finally met in real life yesterday. Um, and this is the middle of, we're in the middle of May right now as we record. And so I had the first lunch with somebody that I've only, only knew online and, and she stopped at some point and she said, oh, well, how, you know, who are your friends here? And I stopped and like my heart broke a little bit because I left a place where I had a community and support. And I came to a place where by the time I was about to settle in, I got injured and spent four months at home. Then I could barely walk and really interact. And then COVID hit. I didn't really have a chance to create any relationships in my community. You're one of the only ones I have. And she stopped and she, she yeah, when she asked me that question, I was like, well, there's some grief. Like there's something that I, like I was looking forward to coming back to the United States and connecting with people who are entrepreneurial, who are like killing it, reconnecting with my friends, which I've done, but also like meeting new people that are kind of exactly where I am in life right now. And that didn't really happen. Like I was expecting, I love to cook and I love to serve people. Like I was expecting to have people over on a fairly regular basis. I was expecting to be cooking tapas and opening the balcony doors and laughing too loud. Like I was expecting more life in my life and there's not been a lot of life in life lately. You know? Yeah. Yeah. How disappointing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this is the point where you want to say like my immediate reaction, even though I am not a silver lining person, my immediate reaction is to now comfort you and to say, but I'm okay. It's real. It's going to be fine. I know what to do. You know, there's, and this is how we avoid it. This is how we get out of these instead of just stopping and being like, yeah, this is fucking pointing. It hurts. Yeah. It hurts to be lonely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing for it. No. It's just part of it. And another thing you said I think is important is that going through any sort of transition, even done with grace, is still going to be ugly. Mm. It's still going to be hard. It's there's still going to be it's still going to be messy. Actually, use the word messy. It's still going to be messy, and I think that this is uh, a lot of people that burn out are perfectionists, and I think that this is a really hard part of the healing process to accept. Like, it's gonna be ugly. I had to, I was working with an acupuncturist a while ago, and 
she said that her, she didn't feel like her treatments were real strong. Like, well, of course they weren't because you are not feeling good and your energy isn't solid and you're, you know, like you're exhausted all the time. And I said, well, you have to just be a technician. Like as acupuncturists, we do not, it is not a typical doctor relationship. You don't walk in and say like my elbow hurts. And then we stick a needle in your elbow and send you home. That's a very Western model there. You're, we're like, you know, my elbow hurts. And we're like, where have you been pushing too hard in your lives? Like what kind of emotions might be stuck there? How can Mm -hmm. we, and then we do something in your stomach. And then we ask you about your mother, you know, like there's all these extra things that happen in an acupuncture room in, in that process. And I had to give her permission to be a technician. So just go do the most basic treatments you can do that, you know, are going to be beneficial to your patients without you being involved. And I know that you don't like that but like you don't have the energy to do more right now and you still need to earn a living because you still need to like eat and pay your rent. So you need to be a technician and it's got to be uncomfortable because you need to leave more energy and more space for you. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's absolutely right. And many of the remedies are annoyingly obvious and simple, right? Like, and, and so we don't want to do them because it's like, no, I want, I want a sophisticated answer. I want a complicated Mm. thing. I want it. And it's like actually sitting at the beach for a day all by yourself without your phone might be the thing. Nature, water, sleep, food, like tend to the mammal, tend the human mammal. Be a technician. Because yeah, tend the mammal. Give your animal body what it needs. Um, So that the emotional body can process, have the energy to process what it needs to. Well, yeah. And many times in grief, there's, it's so exhausting. Grief is exhausting. Yeah. You don't, there's no, there's no choosing. It's just like, I just cannot. And my brain, grief brain is a real thing. So this is a physical, cognitive, um, immune system, uh, hormonal experience. It's not an, it's not just a feeling. I think grief is not an emotion. Right. This is a whole category. Um, so the answer, so, so many of the remedies are like, kind of like basic, right? <laughs> like, oh, that's so big. I don't, you know, I don't want to drink more water. Well, you know what? That might be the thing. Um, yeah. When I think of, so when, when we think about like labor, like the course of a birth, right? It often starts gradual and over time gets more intense until it hits a peak of intensity and then it shifts and you push your baby out. So you have this like upward slant, right? Like half of a parabola. I think of grief as like a mirror image of that. So it mm. starts intense. It starts the, like the acute days of grief. There's stages of grief, like there are stages of birth. So in the beginning, it's just wild. Like it's tsunamis coming and you're underneath the water, the ocean, and you don't know which way is the sand and which way is the sky and you can't breathe. And there's like salt up your nose and you cannot, you can't, you can, it's everything you can do just to get your head above and take a gasp of air. And then here comes the next wave of grief. Mm-hmm. Here comes the next wave, the next paralyzing, drowning wave. And it's like, I, I don't even know, I, I can't, I, right? Like that is yeah. early grief. Um, and then over time, the tsunamis become more spaced out and you learn to be able to predict them and you learn to be able to work with them. If you're engaged in the process, if you're not trying to like, numb out and ignore it and yeah. like you know paste a happy face on top of it um and so you so it's sort of so you it starts intense it starts at a peak intensity and then slowly over time goes downhill right until you you can fully integrate this loss and be a brave human and move forward with it um 
so when I think about like, especially the early days of loss and the expectation that we still have it all together and that we like, maybe we get through the funeral and then like have, you know, a couple of weeks of bereavement leave and then get back to it. It's like, you're trying to pretend you're not in labor, pretend like you're not going through this incredibly intense experience or expect your performance to match, yeah. <laughs> to not be in this high point of the parabola. And it's not realistic and it's not kind and it's not human. And it also doesn't match the rest of the world and like all of evolution, right? <laughs> like across cultures and across religions, this is a sacred liminal space. Yeah. Like, we re- like grief is regarded as a, in the Lakota and Sioux tradition, the person who's grieving is the holiest person in the room because they're mm. closest to the other side. Mm. Like they're most fresh with the, the knowledge of how temporary everything is. And like their prayers are considered the most uh, powerful. Right. And they don't, you know, like when you're grieving, you don't have the luxury of all the ego shit. <laughs> you know, this is not also to say that grief is wonderful. It's it's awful. Like it's a, it's, it's a painful experience. And I, I don't want to fetishize it either. On the other hand, there are other models uh, across cultures and faith traditions that, that really give it its due. Yeah. And we can, we can take something from that rather than just trying to, to bounce right back immediately and become who we were and get our shit together and yeah. um, put on the mask. But our that culture doesn't fine. allow that. No. Our culture no. doesn't allow that, right? Just, no. just like you're supposed to be back at work three back at work three weeks after having a baby in this crazy country. You're also yeah. also supposed to be feeling normal. What is it in the DSM? I think it's it's six to if you are still feeling down. Uh, more than eight weeks after a loss, you can officially get a diagnosis of depression. I think it's perhaps. six to eight weeks. Yeah, yeah perhaps. Like, um, what? Why are why are we um, creating a disorder out of grief? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Grief is not a pathology. Right. Right. It's a natural human response to losing something we love. And we live in a world where nothing is permanent. So it's inevitable. Yeah. And when like you've talked about how it's so much easier to bounce back from something that we like see and recognize. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny because like grief, grief is inevitable. Every single one of us will lose something precious. There's no way about it. There's nothing to do for that. Um, but mostly we don't see it because it's thought of as this like private shameful thing. We don't recognize it in ourselves when it comes up and um, we don't respect or have fluency with it. So we're kind of fucked. (laughs) 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 Um, And like every client who comes into me, you know, at least in early grief says like, I had no idea. Like every, like there's nowhere I can say everything I need to say because everybody has, everybody wants to divert what I, what I am saying, what I'm feeling, like empathy burnout happens, right? Like yeah. that happens. Um, but it's people who are grieving find it very hard to crack through the shell of like, it's not okay to talk about my loss. Yeah. Um, and that's often what people need to do in order to recreate the narrative, like to begin to integrate and make sense of the loss and who they are. Like, we gotta talk it out. We gotta talk it out a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's like kind of not okay. Yeah. So the exhaustion then that comes with it and the weight of carrying it and our inability to integrate it, what I've seen in in my own personal 
practice is that this is, can be a huge factor in burnout. Quite often by the time people call me, they say, well, you know, two years ago, I lost my mother. Mm. And that I never really did that. And now I'm here. Now I'm burnt out. So I see often a lot of unprocessed grief leading to burnout. Mm. Actually, of my, I currently have, um, I currently have seven coaching clients. A couple of them are finishing up now. I currently have seven coaching clients of the seven, four of them. So over 50% of my current clients had a death within the last five years that significantly impacted their lives. Mm. Mm-hmm. that so, they believe is as part of their burnout story. Sure. I mean, and doesn't that make sense? Yeah. Like we don't, we don't have a lot of literacy and what to do with it. We're bereft when it hits us because we are trying to avoid it at all costs. The people around us are shouting unhelpful things and we can numb out by jumping back into work yeah. or booze or Netflix or over mothering, over giving, volunteering, Stay busy, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, just keep running, so I don't have to, so I can not feel that. And eventually, yeah. it works because it kind of crystallizes. But like, yeah. it doesn't go away. The yeah. Losses never go away. We're still changed. We can ignore it as best we can that we are fundamentally changed. But it, <laughs> like, this is inescapable. Yeah. Um, so, so I have a big question mm. that I'm gonna, I'm kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, but. Yeah. If it's a terrible question, you can just tell me that and that's fine too. If you were to guide the world right now through a grieving slash integration post-COVID process, where would you start? Is that a weird Mm. question? It's not a weird question. Um, well, I would start by helping people locate what there is to grieve, mm. right? Cause first thing is we think, well, my mom is healthy. She didn't die. My right. friends whose moms died. I yeah. We okay, focus so- on the lucky parts, the, the gratitude bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So one is like locate the grief. Um, and it may show up in your body first. And so that's mm. one of the weird things about grief is like often it manifests physically, even if it's not so obvious. Um, so, you know, digestive issues, um, anxiety, panic attacks, um, all the ways that our bodies like send up little signals, like something is not right. Um, grief may be under there and it's worth looking at what has been lost. What have you lost that you wish you could have hold on, held on to? Mm. So start there um, without getting squirmy about it, without judging, without mm. judging it, mm. without judging the the parts of you that are brokenhearted over that loss because it seems inconsequential or you comparisonitis or whatever. Right. So one taking stock of what's lost. Um, The next thing is to, uh, I would have everybody give it a good death. Mm. So even if it's gone, one of the, either the person has passed, the job is over, the marriage is tanked. um, The business has been sold or has been run into the ground. If it's in it, it doesn't matter. It's still alive in you. The loss is still alive in you. Your first task is to give it a good death. Mm. And what that means is that you, um, gosh, (laughs) gosh. Well, one, don't keep 
anything precious on life support. So <laughs> like, don't keep it, keep nudging a thing that's mostly dead along. And for God's sake, do not weekend at Bernie's, anything that you used to love. <laughs> Because talk about diminishing returns, right? <laughs> like you are putting more and more effort into a thing that's not it's yielding never gonna... life, right? And I really think honestly, like giving the thing you love or the experience, the identity, the part of you, the person, the dog, the what, giving it its integrity and dignity all the way to the end and allowing it to be who it has always been all the way to the end would solve so much, not letting things peter and fester and dissolve. And I think of so many divorces that are toxic and poisonous and painful and don't have to be if we ended it, if we gave them a good death. Yeah. Um, and so if, talk about burnout, right? Like you're pouring all this effort yeah. into something and it's just dissolving. And right, right, right. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Um, and it, it for sure takes some courage, but minimize suffering to the best of your abilities and you and the people around you um, create beauty. And that may be through taking stock of the thing's impact and starting to acknowledge how it's changed you, how, how whatever it is that you love um, got you to who and where you are. Um, like even in a woo way, like what's the vibration of the thing and how does that, how is that a, a loving and good part of me still? So take stock of the impact and um, offering gratitude and acknowledgement out loud, maybe in the silence of your heart, but also perhaps out loud. This could also be like a legacy project mm. in the death doula world to create legacy projects. It's a thing to do, to create, to make tangible all of the good of somebody's existence and what they created in the world and a way to pour our love and acknowledgement into something, into someone. Um, and then um, let's see, uh, offer blessings. So then to offer blessings to what is, what is being lost. So to offer blessings for the way forward from the person or that, which is dying. Um, and then some sort of ritual release. Um, so it, it could be, it could be burning. It could be sending into water. It could be sending into the earth, but some, some symbolic, um, letting go. And all of the ritual really speaks to our subconscious. We don't have so much of it here. We have a funeral and then people eat potato salad at your house afterwards and they get on a meal train, right? <laughs> and they drop off pizzas for a few weeks and like that's kind of yeah. expected to go, go it alone. Yeah. Right. Other cultures, you got 40 days of like deep care, right? You sit shiva, there's like deep nurturing. There's like a bubble. You live yeah. in a grief bubble. People you hold you. Yeah. People hold you, they grieve yeah. with you. Um, and that here it's like, you kind of like, you can write something sort of positive and sweet on Facebook <laughs> and people, people will like, like and love oh, she's it. so strong. So strong, so sorry yeah. for your loss. Yeah. Um, but it's okay, so release and then um, a period of mourning. Go, so that's the outward expression of it. So like allow yourself to mourn and it will be body-based, like a body-based program, you know, whatever. There are a thousand ways, like there's, Mark Nepo said, there's 7,000 ways to listen. There's 10,000 ways to grieve. There's yeah. 10,000 ways to mourn and we find our own way through it. And then 
I'd have everybody in the world take a fucking nap. (laughs) (laughs) Did you listen to that? The last step is take a nap. Shout out to Catherine Peters, who taught us all about naps on Friday the Burnout podcast a couple of months ago. So if you are a bad napper, you might want to go back to that episode and check it out because last step, take a nap. But I really do love that the first step is acknowledge it, pay attention, Make notes of what you're really, what you've really lost, what you would have liked to hold on to, what was impossible to hold on to, what's gone now. Take stock mm-hmm. before you get to the point where you're saying, but from this thing, I had all these wonderful pieces. Yeah, you should do that. But first, there's other work to be done. So um, I think that that's very in line with burnout coaching, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can't do anything before you feel what there is to feel. Yeah, the full humanity of it, and the sacred feminine has that, like yeah. both and, right? Yeah. We're always like feel it all. Yeah, that's what we're here to do. Yeah, and then move forward with it rather than getting stuck in like crusty and crystallized and like. And we're going to put on a show over here so you don't notice how broken I am over here. I'm going to keep this mask on and have it together, and everything's great. Until until you burn out. Until you're burnt out. Yeah. Yes. And and we do that. You know, so no judgment. No, well, that's the other part of it, right? Like if we when you grow up in a culture that this these are the rules that you're meant to abide by, this is naturally what you're going to do. So it's not again, like there's no judgment around it. It is what it is. But what what Jess is sharing with you today is that it doesn't actually have to be that way but that's not the only option. Mm-hmm. That's right. And if I can continue my soapbox. Of course. <laughs> um, I would also create uh, sort of like lost literacy, like lost literacy experiences for people next door to those who are grieving yeah. intensely so that we all know how to more effectively help during times of transition and loss. Um, because often like people want to help, we just don't know what to do and we don't want to be awkward and we don't want to say the wrong thing and we don't want to upset them more. And to be fair, like, you know, secondary grief happens. So secondary grief is like when, um, the way the world and people respond to your grief actually compounds and makes it worse. So even, you know, even the grief savvy among us don't want to do that. So what do we do? Um, the number one best practice is called ring theory. And if you imagine a bullseye and in the center of the bullseye, you place the person closest to the loss. So it could be um, the widow, or it could be the woman whose business just tanked, or it could be, it could be you, right? So you're in the middle of this loss. And then each of these concentric rings are people one degree closer to you. So closer to the loss. So um, in the divorce, I was in the center with my husband and my daughter. And outside yeah. that was my immediate family. Outside right. that was my, my closest friends and so on. Within these concentric rings of people relative to the loss, you always comfort in or nurture in and complain out or dump mm. out. So a lot of the grief illiteracy that happens is because people break this rule. They, a woman has a miscarriage or stillbirth, loses a baby. And the mom, the grandma wants to come in and complain to mama who just lost her baby. She wants support from her because she's hurting so much over the loss of her grandbaby. Uh-uh, 
No, right. you, you look for comfort out. Um, the next circle out. You, yeah, so, so nurture in all the energy and all of the interactions are designed to comfort people closer than you to the loss. Yeah. And then, yeah. But can we talk about the word nurture for a minute? Please. Because people also suck at this. <laughs> to be frank. <laughs> you you guys know me. I don't hold a lot back. This is what I love about Jess is that she's so soft and also not at all, which feels like me to me, which makes it comfortable. Um, but we suck at nurturing because we think we have this idea that nurturing means like telling people that we're worried about them and that, yeah, yeah. You like, I'm so worried about you. It's just because I care. I care so much. So I'm really worried about you. Like, how is that fucking helping me right now? That's not useful. Like, or giving advice. That's all. That's sort of like a second too late. Like you stub your toe and then somebody's like, be careful. You're like, I already fucking stubbed my toe. Like that's not, Mm -hmm. That's not useful right now. So I feel like a lot of the nurturing is like the the wrong step. So when you say nurture in, what is going through your mind then? What are you thinking about? What do you consider to be nurturing? Um, helping somebody tend the human mammal. So uh-huh. food, physical comfort. Um, making sure that they have what they need so they can do the hard work of grieving, step one, Um, unless they don't want it, in which case respect what they want, right? Like, I don't need any more fucking casseroles. Yeah. Okay. My freezer is full. Yeah, here's a ShopRite gift card. You can use it anytime in the next three years. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, Checking your own stuff at the door. Mm. in fact, every time I go into a massage, I pause at the door and I really, I just, I imagine letting all the shit on me that's mine, just like hit the ground. And when I think about going into the space of somebody who's grieving, whether it's a physical space or just like their company, um, I, it's important to do that. So leave your own wishes, your own wants, your own need to get it right. My need to look good. Yeah. Got to drop it all. So I can be real and human. Um, so tend the mammal. Don't make it about me. Don't make it about you. Um, be willing to stand in the fire. Just you know, take some courage, but just be willing to just listen and say, yep, yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. Without changing any of it. Without so validate. Judging. So validate. Yeah. So my favorite quote <sighs> talks about mercy. Um, an energy that doesn't seek to fix or change, never judges or shames, rather sees, accepts, and remains Mm. a compassion that changes everything just by mirroring back to the one who is suffering that at last their voice has been heard so validating listening um and sitting in the sitting in the love right so Mm. somebody sits down and they're like well my dad died and this and this and this and i got this and this is going on they say hang on what's your dad's name and they go michael and they say, what did you love about your dad? Yeah. Tell me what you miss. What do you, what do you wish you'd gotten a chance to say to your dad? And so we, we sit and roll around in the love of the thing. And that is what people want. Yeah. Like they want to tell you 
all their hopes that they had. They want to tell you why this person was so critical or why that business was so good, how it was a manifestation of their dreams. Um, so like be willing to drop into the love and also the pain at the same time and hang out there a bit. And that's kind of like it. <laughs> right? I, I like, think that's beautiful and clear yeah. and helpful. And, you know, all of those things are it's like, it's a similar skill set to grieve fully as to be with one who is grieving. The difference is that when you're grieving, there's the vulnerability and the free fall. You have to be willing to just free fall. When you're with somebody companioning a, grieved, a grieving person, um, the groundedness is essential to being yeah. safe, to being safe enough so that that person can fall in your presence and can say everything that they need to say without fear of judgment, without without feeling like they're going to be corrected um, or they have their story Fixed. written for them. Yeah. Fixed, cleaned up. Like here's yeah. the, the tissue thing, right? Like I hate the tissue. Don't, don't hand somebody tissues unless they ask for them. Yeah. Don't clean them up. Let people drip. Yeah. Don't clean them courage. up. Let people drip. Let people drip. God, I love you. I love you. I love you for being willing to stand in the fire with people. It's a sacred task. It is. It is. Like the thing about me is I kind of like the fire. Mm-hmm. I always yeah. have. Yeah. I stand yeah. in the fire, not because I'm brave or because I'm more anything than anyone. I stand in the fire because I like it. You know why? There's no bullshit. There's no bullshit there. There's zero. There's zero. It's all it real. There's on, that's what I tell parents before they have their baby about birth space. Like, yeah, yeah. it hurts and it's hard, but there's so much truth there. There's yeah. so much honesty. Yeah. And I think it, that's what relieves people the most when they talk to me, they'll say something and sort of wait for me to respond. And I, I'm just standing in the fire. Mm-hmm. What you're saying right now is not going to move me, not because I'm an emotionless cow, but because this is a story that you need to tell right now. And my job is to be here and witness your story. My job is not to judge this story. Plus my opinion of the story has no bearing on its outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's irrelevant. Yeah. It's so much easier. I think to stand in the fire and just be there and be real with people than trying to figure out, especially as someone who I've been trying to like fix people for years. Right. That's I got into a healing profession so I could heal people. And what I realized was that I was getting in the way a lot. It burnt me out to be in the way cost me a lot of energy. And that energy was not transformed by the other person because they weren't taking it in because they didn't need it. <laughs> so I was left with all of this great fucking advice <laughs> from myself <laughs> floating in the ether that was not actually useful. Now I'm like, let's just burn, baby. Let's just burn. Let it all burn. All these all this good advice and I just got to find somebody to plug it into. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I, I thought that that's what healing meant for a long time. And, you know, I think that's why grief avoidance is a thing. Like yeah. people feel so alone and it, they expect, it's always like, I didn't expect these people to show up for me. And I yeah. really did expect those folks. And they were, it was like crickets with right. them. And I thought they would be there for me. But it's it's because we put all this pressure on ourselves to know how to say the right thing yeah. and how to make it better and how to like offer the right kind of support. And there's yeah. like, we don't know how to do that. 
well, because you actually can't make anything better, right? right? You so, don't actually and, have that power. Fuck, right. You can't that part. Make it better at you cannot, but that's a relief, yeah. right? Because all you gotta do is show up. But if and you not know say, what to say, but if you say, I wish I could make this better, I don't know what to say. You're making it about you. Right. That's the trick. Stop it. Well, I'm worried well, about you. That's better than nothing, right? Though that like, gosh, that's a I, I don't even know what to say. Like, yeah. Like yeah. that's different. Yes, that's different. God has a plan for you. <laughs> oh my God. Things yeah. like that make me want to jump right out of my skin. Some uh, a used to be friend sent me an anonymous <laughs> book by uh, through Amazon called Only God Can Save Your Family. Right when I was in the middle of a discord. <laughs> I was uh, like, oh. this is not useful. It was not useful. And it, you know, like I can already hear the critics like, oh, but it was the thought that counts. And the thought was, I have the answer for you. And right. my thought and response was, the fuck you do. I have the answer. <laughs> I don't, I will. I don't, I don't have the answer in fact, but I trust myself to find it. And I know it's time. not this. <laughs> and I know it's not, it's, I mean, no, it's not this. And I know it's not this, which can be helpful because it is helpful to know where you don't want to go sometimes. <laughs> Send me a shitty map so that I will not follow it. Thank you. <laughs> but do you feel better now? Yeah. Okay, great. So glad that you're feeling better. You've sorted out my life. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, Jess, this was a big one. Hmm. And I am so appreciative of, of your ability to stand in the fire, to have this conversation and to bring to me, what was so obvious to bring the years and years of experience of sitting and being and representing that and modeling that for people today in a way that I think is absorbable and learnable not only through your words, but through the energy that you showed up with today. So I'm really mm. grateful for that. Thank you. Thank you. How beautiful. I totally received that. Oh, oh gosh. Good. I like that. All right. So anything, do we need anything before? I think we pretty much wrapped it up. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm doing a thing in August, Ooh, which is pretty tell exciting. Me. So back pre-COVID, my work wife and I, Ankara Rose and I, uh, led a one-day retreat called Grief and Grace, mm. um, an exploration of body and breath and healing. Um, and so we're finally, finally now offering an online version of that. And it's 40 days because there's this 40-day, like 40 days are magic. And it's, mm. it's enough time to make a shift. It doesn't change things. But like if we take these manageable chunks of time and work within them, unbelievable things happen. So uh, 40 days to journey into grief and grace. And mm -hmm. so we're using body, breath work, sound, uh, spiritually feminine ritual. Um, and the idea is to, to create safe space and community so that we're left at the end with just a little bit more love than there is pain. Mm, I love um, that. And, and this uh, is to be clear, not just for grieving a death. A hundred percent. Okay. Anything you've loved that you wanted to hang on to and that your life has changed by its absence. Mm. Um, and to, to keep a, like a tangible connection with that thing, with, yeah. the, with the spirit and the legacy of that thing, and hopefully to emerge on the other side without trauma. Mm. 
Like this amen. is also, yeah, amen. Um, and to help people live into the next rebirth for those who've you know been through some loss and are are ready to move into rebirth and flourishing in addition to grieving what's been lost. I love that. So links to that, you will send over to me because I do not have a link to that right now. So if you send me a link to the landing page, it will be sure to be in the show notes for everybody, because I think that there will be quite a few people that were touched enough by this to know that that's the next right step right now. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we, our intention from the beginning was that the, you know, the folks that it could serve it would serve so I yeah have absolute faith in that it's yeah. uh, griefandgracejourney.com griefandgracejourney.com okay and for anybody out there listening i've done some breath work with jess's work wife and i sobbed uncontrollably on the floor for an hour but it was good oh yeah in a good way in a good way in a good way in a in a, in a releasing way that's in a real right a cathartic a cathartic right yes it moves, it moves the energy right yes it, it, like so that's one of in eastern medicine right grief lives yeah. in the lungs yes so we're clearing all of that out yeah yeah um, loved it it was wonderful do you also like crying yes i love to cry i love to cry i love to cry i once said i was going to a work training once and i said to my husband in all seriousness i really hope we get to sit on the floor and talk about our feelings and cry and he looked at me like, <laughs> you're cute. And I was like, no, really. no, I'm serious. I love <laughs> no. crying. Yeah. Well, I think that's the other part about standing in the fire with people. Like I don't, I'll just sit there and cry with you. Huh? It's fine. I, I, I like crying. And to be witnessed that way, to have somebody sit and really feel right. To be in resonance, to be in emotional alignment and attunement and resonance with me. That's so healing. That's let's just so, sit around and cry. Let's just, let's just all sit around and cry. <laughs> No, but yeah, really, really. Yeah, but really, yeah, exactly. You know, so, yeah. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you a million times over, and I will uh, see you soon. My pleasure. Okay. Bye. All right, Fried fans, we're wrapping up another episode of Fried the Burnout podcast. And this one was very deep and real, which is what I expected it to be. But if you need some time right now, if you need some white space in your schedule to process a little bit of what just happened, please create it for yourself. You deserve that time and space. We love you and we will talk to you next time. Ha 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 